Welcome to the Magic and Alchemy podcast, where we talk about witchcraft, setting intentions, forgotten folklore, and mythology. Created by Tamed Wild, magicandalchemy.com is a collection of stories, rituals, and articles crafted by a variety of creators and writers, including myself, Kristen Lisenby, and my co-host, Kate Ballou. Hello, and welcome back to the Magic and Alchemy podcast. I'm Kate Ballou. And I'm Kristen Lisenby. What's going on, Kristen? How are you? Well, I'm wonderful. Thank you for asking. Um, As you know, I'm in California for another week or so, making my way up and down the Central Coast, visiting Mm -hmm. all my favorite places and trying to figure out how many books I can shove into my luggage, Um, you know, as one does. But what about you? How's New York? New York's good. I don't know if you can just hear that. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Um, Beautiful uh, New York City music, as we as you asked that outside Mm -hmm. my window. But um, yeah, things are good. The leaves on the trees are coming back. I can see my favorite oak tree outside. Um, Not to play favorites. Beautiful. Um, But yeah, things are things are good. I was at. Robins yesterday for our April circle and and yeah just feeling all of the spring feels as we head into eclipse season mm-hmm. Taurus season mm-hmm. all the things um but what are we talking about today Kristen well today we're back talking about archetypes Yes, I can't wait. Um, We're expanding on the mother archetype, which we also talked about in season one, episode 27. Um, We know we mentioned an Ask the Witch listener contribution episode today on our last episode, but we got our dates mixed up as one Mm -hmm. does. And so listeners, you can expect that next week. And thanks so much for rolling with us. Yeah, and I don't know if we adore archetypes because we love mythology, but we really love talking about them. Mm-hmm. And I re-listened to the mother episode from season one before I sat down to write this one. So if any listeners are interested, we talked about the mother in Disney movies, absent mothers, self-initiation, goddess tales, and I talked quite a bit about the creative mother time and that which we sacrifice for our creations. Mm, I loved that perspective. Definitely had their listeners if you didn't catch that last year. Um, And what are you going to talk about today? I want to talk a little bit about the matriarchy, mother goddesses, and the great mother's relationship to drumming, vultures, and the underworld. What about you? Yes, please, to all of that. Um, And I'm going to be discussing the iconography and veneration of the Virgin Mary and the Madonnas as related to the mother archetype. Let's do it. I just picked up a book called When the Drummers Were Women, A Spiritual History of Rhythm by Lane Redman, and there's a beautiful quote I'd like to start with today that touches on the fluidity of the archetypal mother. It says, quote, The Divine Mother should not be imagined as a female equivalent of the Judeo-Christian God, the Father. 
She is more fluid, capable of assuming many forms. She is a powerful, mythological symbol who speaks to something basic in human consciousness. As an archetype of the eternal female, she transmits, simultaneously, layer upon layer of meaning, some of it seemingly contradictory, bypassing the intellect, often inaccessible to conscious thought, her multidimensional images strike to the heart of awareness. They vibrate within our psyches, oscillating between various levels of meaning. They are the unconscious source of our thoughts and emotions. End quote. The book goes on to suggest that instead of imagining this archetype as one entity or thing, think of her as, quote, a stream of energy that assumes whatever form our consciousness can understand. And I just really like these words because archetypes are so fluid and they speak to each of us differently, you know, depending on the state we're at in life, what lessons we're here to learn. So listeners, like everything we talk about, take what resonates and leave the rest. I love how this quote mentions these seeming contradictions because I think it's so important in magic and witchcraft to be able to hold contradictions simultaneously. And this is part of the reason, to me at least, that this archetype is so resonant. Absolutely. And, you know, if we read a lot of mythology or are familiar with archetypes, we already know that there isn't just one mother. There's the compassionate mother, the creative mother, uh, the destroyer, as we see in the goddess Kali, the evil stepmother, there's Mary Magdalene, the dark mother, the mourning mother, as we see with Demeter, and they all have wisdom to share with us. Mary Magdalene has definitely been on the mind lately with uh, the Easter story having just passed. And, you know, we also see these representations of the archetypal mother in modern culture, like Florence and the Machine's new single, King, comes to mind as conversation around motherhood, creativity, and sovereignty. And so next time, listeners, you watch your favorite TV show or a movie, this is definitely worth a thought and let us know where you see it. Yeah, and not surprisingly, reading mythology and stories is one of, you know, our favorite ways to connect with archetypes and the mother. But in this book I mentioned, it also talks about rhythmic drumming as a consciousness transforming practice or a way to put us in touch with archetypal patterns of consciousness. Uh, So sort of like a universal or collective consciousness. Because in the old world, drumming was a practice reserved for the most holy, which meant women, since women had the you know, seemingly magical ability to give birth and create new humans. When the drummers were women explains that, as a result, women became the first technicians of the sacred, performing religious functions we would today associate with the clergy or priesthood. Sacred drumming was one of their primary skills. It remained a powerful tool for communal bonding and individual transformation until the fall of the Roman Empire. The book goes even deeper, explaining how rhythmic music was the structuring force of life because, quote, human, plant, and animal evolved in a rhythmic web. Some suggest drumming was a way to mimic the human pulse or heartbeat, since the pulse of our mother's blood was the first thing we heard, felt, and understood as our life source. 
Mm, and this reminds me too of meter and poetry and prose. Mm, yeah, that's a good connection. I learned that drumming was used to summon the goddess, communicate with her, and invoke her energy. It was related to menstruation, sacred sexuality, and fertility. Listening to drums was believed to increase health, drive out evil spirits, and communicate over long distances. Priestesses would beat drums to help people move into trance states, to summon the next version of being during initiations or mystery schools, and drums were also used to awaken the earth, especially when seeding the garden. Since drums could be heard but also felt, they were believed to reach up into the cosmos but also deep down into the underworld. There are many stories about drums guiding deities back to the land of the living after descending to the underworld, like those of Inanna, Osiris, Dionysus, and our beloved Persephone. In some parts of the world, people were buried with figurines of a goddess playing a frame drum, since rhythmic drumming was believed to hasten rebirth. I know we talk about Persephone, Kate, a lot on this podcast, but I don't Mm -hmm. think we've ever mentioned her connection to drumming. It's said that if you see an image of Persephone perched on her throne in the underworld, a frame drum hangs on one side, which is what allows her to travel between worlds. Yeah, I don't think I've ever picked up on that before, but it makes complete and total sense. Yeah, I knew you'd, I knew you'd appreciate that little nugget of wisdom. <laughs> and also in When the Drummers Were Women, which is obviously full of amazing information because I've mentioned it already several times, the author makes a connection between rhythm and the moon. Obviously, we know the moon as a symbol of the mother, but this book suggests that the moon is a symbol of rhythm and perhaps a cosmic drum. Because as the moon waxes and wanes, the earth and all of us here feel her influence. The moon controls the rhythms of the tides, the blood cycles of women, its phases and light cycles tell animals when to breed, plants when to bloom, and the moon quite literally helps stabilize our planet. Like the drum, the moon as a symbol of rhythm ties together this web of phenomena, water, fertility, death, rebirth, vegetation, all things representative of the Great Mother. sharing a lot of quotes today, but in this book, I also recently picked up A Dictionary of Symbols by J.E. Surlot. There's a passage about the mother archetype that reads, quote, mother symbols are characterized by an interesting ambivalence. The mother sometimes appears as the image of nature and vice versa, but the terrible mother is a figure signifying death. For this reason, the Hermetic doctrine held that to return to the mother was equivalent to dying. For the Egyptians, the vulture was a prominent mother symbol, probably because it devours the corpses. It also stood for the means whereby the universal soul was split up into separate parts to form individual souls. It goes on to say that Dr. Carl Jung believed that the mother was symbolic of the collective unconsciousness, of the left and nocturnal side of existence, the source of the water of life. 
Other symbols of the Earth Mother are stones, caves, the maternal home, night, the house of depth, and the house of strength or of wisdom, end quote. So lots to love in these words, but it was actually the vulture comment that stood out to me, probably because we just did an episode on birds and it felt too synchronistic not to mention that the vulture or vulture goddess is an early representation of the great mother. In her vulture form, the goddess doesn't kill, but consumes the already dead in order to transmute the soul once more, this time in the form of an egg. Another week, another conversation about vultures for us. Absolutely. (laughs) I also learned that birds are considered extra sacred because they are Mm. born twice. Once when the mother lays the egg and again when the chick breaks through the shell, in a sense, giving birth to itself. Wow. (laughs) That's all I can say. (laughs) Right. Um. Yeah, and, you know, just as the chick breaks through its shell, the vulture goddess can help us break through our own barriers and the shells that we've outgrown. But as it suggests in this book, once the shell is broken, once we've said goodbye to an old version of ourself, you know, it's done. There's no going back. The shell can never be put back together again. It all feels very initiatory. Like you can't go to a mystery school. You can't work with Demeter and Persephone via the Eleusinian mysteries, learn from the great mother, all the secrets of the universe, and then decide one day you want to backtrack or you don't like it. You know, it's this perpetual cycle of death and rebirth and embracing that new version every time it breaks through the shell. As I mentioned last week, I've been knee-deep into saint craft and the study and history of Catholicism, veneration of saints, subverting and connecting with the Catholic religion as a form of witchcraft and magic. So a big shout out to Dakota St. Clair at Catland Books in my neighborhood, who is teaching this class because it's just so rich and compelling. Um, Some caveats before I begin. Uh, The history behind Christianity and Catholicism, the theology, it is so wide, deep, woven, violent, and braided that I could never contain it all in this episode. And, you know, full disclosure, I was confirmed Presbyterian as a 14-year-old, not Catholic. However, my dad was raised Catholic, and so he and I are kind of embarking on this studying conversation as a way to connect to our Polish and Catholic ancestors in the wake of my Grandma Joan passing. So a little background, during Grandma Joan's funeral, my sister, brother, dad, and I were perusing through big boxes of photos and art that used to be on the walls of her house, and one of the things that came up was my dad and I were discussing at great length the different versions of the Virgin Mary that Grandma had had around the house, and these sorts of artful depictions of her, interpretations of her, kind of just the iconography of Mary. And 
Upon taking this class, which is still unfolding, Dakota has spoken about the ways in which Mary and her different interpretations, the Madonnas, could in some ways be described almost as a pantheon of goddesses of the great mother archetype. And I think that this interpretation is really beautiful. Um, And you might say, how can you be a practicing witch and discuss Christianity or Catholicism at the same time? Um, And to be honest, that's something I'm working through. You know, as we all know, the church has perpetuated violence in many forms. Um, However, it is also a part of our collective and spiritual history. And to ignore its presence is to ignore our history and its contradictions and those that came before us. Uh, My ancestors, for example, connected to saints and Mary as a part of their spirituality, and many people practiced their own religions under the guise of Catholic saints through syncretism or the amalgamation of religions. And so I'm sharing these thoughts today regarding the archetype of Mary and the mother and her stories, rather than as something to necessarily practice on your own, um, but rather as like a collective knowing, unless it's helpful for you on your own path. So to start, for those who don't know, here's some background around Mary, someone I consider an archetypal mother figure to folks in many different religions across the globe. According to the Gospels of Matthew and Luke in the New Testament, Mary was a first century Jewish woman of Nazareth, the wife of Joseph and the mother of Jesus. Both the New Testament and the Quran describe Mary as a virgin. According to Christian theology, Mary conceived Jesus through the Holy Spirit while still a virgin and accompanied Joseph to Bethlehem, where Jesus was born. Mary has been venerated since early Christianity and is considered by millions to be the holiest and greatest saint because of her extraordinary virtues as seen at the Annunciation by the Archangel Gabriel. She is said to have miraculously appeared to believers many times over the centuries. The Eastern and Oriental Orthodox, Catholic, Anglican, and Lutheran churches believe that Mary, as the mother of Jesus, is the mother of God, and there is significant diversity in the Marian beliefs and devotional practices of all major Christian traditions. The Catholic Church itself holds distinctive Marian dogmas, namely keeping her status as the mother of God, her own immaculate conception, her perpetual virginity, and then her assumption into heaven. Mary also has the highest position in Islam among all women, and she's mentioned in the Quran more often than in the Bible, where two of the longer chapters of the Quran are actually named after her and her family. According to Catholic and Eastern Christian teachings, at the end of her earthly life, God raised Mary's body into heaven, and this is known in the Christian West as the Assumption of Mary. So then the Madonnas. Uh, Madonna in Christian art is a depiction of Mary, and this term is usually restricted to those representations that are devotional rather than narrative and that show her in a non-historical context. And to me, these depictions remind me of kind of connecting with deities as these versions of Mary are created for specific aspects of her being or story or patronage. Um, She is known by the mother of Christ, mother of mercy, mother of sorrows, mother for the journey, mystical rose, our lady of the annunciation, our lady of charity, our lady of providence. Our Lady of Ransom, Our Lady of Solitude, Our Lady Star of the Sea, 
queen of all saints, queen of all angels, queen of apostles, queen of confessors, and queen of families, to name just a few. Oh my gosh, so many names. Yes. Um, in the Azores, you know, which is a very Catholic island, like you mentioned, she's known as Nosa Senora or simply Our Lady. Mm, beautiful. A few of these, um, just a bit more about them. And I would love uh, at some point, Kristen, to know if there's like um, a site or something in the Azores for her. That would be very mm. cool to see. But um, yeah. This imagery of Our Lady of Sorrows is often depicted with either one or seven swords piercing her heart. And this is in reference to the prophecy of Simeon and then the second to the seven sorrows. And I think that these paintings and imagery are just absolutely stunning, definitely worth an investigation, listeners. Um, There's also the Our Lady of Guadalupe, known as the Virgin of Guadalupe. This version of Mary is associated with a series of five Marian apparitions in December 1531 and a venerated image on a cloak enshrined within the Basilica of Our Lady of Guadalupe in Mexico City. This basilica is the most visited Catholic shrine in the world and the world's third most visited sacred site. She's the patron saint of Mexico and, you know, pilgrimages are fascinating and I don't think we have time to talk about them today, but I want to flag that as something more to discuss. Mm-hmm. In her mythical Rose uh, Madonna, Mary's association with roses is celebrated. Roses have long been connected with her and her story. The red rose symbolic of love, the white rose of purity. Um, In the 5th century, Mary was referred to as a rose among thorns, known as the queen of flowers. And roses, you know, I know we've talked about these on the podcast before, but they're just really sacred, magical plant. Um, Our Lady, Star of the Sea, is a really ancient title for Mary. The words Star of the Sea are a translation of the Latin title Stella Maris, and this title has been used since the early medieval period. Supposedly, this originally arised from a scribal era uh, in a supposed etymology of the name Mary, and it came to be seen as an allegorical example of Mary's role as a guiding star. So under this name, Mary is believed to intercede as a guide and protector of seafarers in particular, and you may see Stella Maris um, on many coastal churches or Mm -hmm. even boats. And, you know, much like drumming, which you mentioned earlier, Kristen, Mary is also associated with the moon, namely crescent moon. So the crescent moon is used in representations of her miraculous conception and birth. And to me, this comes from an even more ancient place as related to the goddess. The crescent kind of appearing under Mary's feet in paintings of the assumptions and signifies her her glory in all time and space. And so here, honoring Mary as a mother, we can see the different ways in which she protects, connects to sacredness, and watches over. And the month of May is actually Mary's month. It has been a long-standing Catholic tradition to honor her during this time, um, and in many Catholic churches and in some homes, a May altar is crafted with a statue or pictures of Mary, flowers, and candles, and this altar typically stands from May 1st to May 31st. 
Additionally, many Catholic churches and families hold a May crowning, presenting Mary with a crown made of blossoms or other handcrafted materials to signify her queenship as the mother of Christ, the King. Do you have any idea why May? You know, I automatically think Beltane, but I feel like there's likely another reason. Well, I mean, in some ways, you know, while searching the internet, I found that the tradition dates all the way back to the ancient Greeks, who dedicated the month of May to Artemis. Uh, Romans also claimed May to honor the goddess Flora, who I know you wrote a piece about on magic and alchemy for listeners Mm -hmm. who want to read more about Flora. Um, And I think there's an Artemis piece, too, but... They celebrated floral games to honor the goddess at the end of April and then petitioned Flora's intercession for all the blooms. So in medieval times, a tradition arose of expelling winter at this time since May 1st was considered the start of new growth, which, you know, of course, Beltane, I feel like Mm -hmm. they're so connected. But um, it was during the Middle Ages in the 11th century that this idea of giving the month of May to Mary began with this tradition, uh, 30-day devotion to Mary, which was originally held from August 15th to September 14th. But during the month, special devotions to Mary were organized, and then this custom, which began in Italy, spread elsewhere. So this is just more of a sign to me of the constellations of stories and history, how they change, grow, wind back, and add on to themselves over time. It reminds me of how we are never just one thing, much like the Great Mother reminds us. As I write this, knowing this episode will be released in May, I'm thinking about how many people have made pilgrimages to Mary, the Madonnas, folks who work with the Rosary and have Mary hanging in their homes, much like my grandmother did. I can't help but think about what is so compelling about this archetype and story, how beloved Mary is as an icon and figure in religion and spirituality. I'm thinking about all of the ways in which her multifaceted nature has woven and wound itself into so many cultures, artwork, and I can't help but feel inspired and connected to all of those witches, women, magical folks who have seen themselves or comfort in the great mother archetype, even in the darkest of times, and how this cycle continues. so much for joining us today on Magic and Alchemy, a podcast from Tamed Wild. Again, we're Kristen Lizenby and Kate Ballou. You can find us online at East and Alchemy and at K8 Ballou. Send us all of your questions, comments, or just say hello via email at podcast at tamedwild.com. You can view all the amazing offerings from Tamed Wild on their Instagram at Tamed Wild or on the blog magicandalchemy.com. Tune in to next week's episode, where we have a special episode with listener contributions and questions. Just a reminder that magic and alchemy are always available to those who know where to look for it. So mote it be or something better. Until next time.